Welcome to Escape the Earth. We are a sci-fi and fantasy podcast broadcasting from an undisclosed location within the San Antonio Public Library. We are supported by the library and by the San Antonio Public Library Foundation. So big shout out to them. I'm Mary Elizabeth and my other crew members today are Alyssa. Hi everybody. And Tim. Hi. Today we are going to be talking about Rebecca Rowan Horst's book, Black Sun. Before we get into that, though, we just want to warn everyone about a couple of things. First, there will be spoilers. We go into this assuming that you have read the book, and so we aren't going to tiptoe or step or step around anything. If you haven't read the book, hit the pause button, go read it, and come on back to us. Part of our goal is to encourage people to read the books, and we truly believe you'll get more out of the discussion if you've read the book. Second, this is geared towards adults. We're not potty mouths or anything, but sometimes the subject matter will not be for youngling ears. Take it away, Tim. Is it me already? Yes. We just want to thank uh, Dale McNeil, who is our assistant director for public services, who got in touch with us and gave us some trivia. That was a mashup of the library world and Back to the Future because we talked about Back to the Future on the last episode. When Marty McFly's sleeping on his bed he's got his arm bent behind his back on his headboard of his bed there are two issues of reference quarterly it just shows like the rq on the cover why would a 17 year old kid be reading a library trade magazine right but apparently his college professor was the editor of reference quarterly back when back to the future came out and called and asked the property manager for the uh for the, for the movie, why they had selected that magazine is because it had a very abstract cover and it was hard to date. So it was just an interesting piece of library trivia that uh, is linked to one of the greatest sci-fi movies of all time. He also reminded me that uh, sometimes maybe people don't just listen to this because they've read the book and they like the book. Maybe they listen to it because they want to find something that they like to read or they want to get the essence of a story but don't have the time to read because, you know, we're all busy people. I'm also going to uh, talk a little bit about Rebecca Roanhorse, and this is from RebeccaRoanhorse.com, just a basic biography of her. She's a New York Times bestselling author, author and a Nebula, Hugo, and Locus Award winner for speculative fiction. She's a re- recipient of the 2018 Astounding Award for Best New Writer. Rebecca has published multiple award-winning short stories and five novels, including two in the Sixth World series, Star Wars Resistance Reborn, Race to the Sun, for the Rick Riordan imprint, and her latest novel, the epic fantasy Black Sun. I don't think that Black Sun is still the latest novel, but we'll get into that after a bit. She's also written for Marvel Comics and for television and had projects optioned by Amazon Studios, Netflix, and Paramount TV. She lives in northern New Mexico with her husband, daughter, and pup. She drinks a lot of black coffee. And for more information, you can check RebeccaRoanhorse.com. And now I believe we are on to Alyssa. Thanks, Tim. 
Um, so I've got the summary of Black Sun for you today. And here's the short version. A sun priest, a siren, and a crow god walk into a bar. Just kidding. Although Ziella might enjoy that very much. Where they're really headed is the convergence, a solar eclipse coinciding with the winter solstice. The events of Black Sun mainly take place over the course of the 20 days leading up to the convergence. The book follows the stories of Naranpa, a well-meaning sun priest and dry earther from Coyote's Ma, who wants to reform the celestial priesthood and restore it to its former glory. Ziala, a teak captain with a magical song that can soothe the sea, who also has a knack for getting drunk and getting into bed with the wrong people, and Serapio, the crow god reincarnate. Roanhorse's nonlinear story begins with the origins of Serapio and the gruesome events that imbue him with the soul of the crow god. His mother invokes blood magic to exact revenge on the priests of the celestial tower responsible for the Knight of Knives, a genocidal event against her clan, Carrion Crow. Serapio is scarred, blinded, and drugged, before being invested with the soul of the crow god by his mother's human sacrifice. 20 days before the convergence, he meets Ziala, the captain of the ship hired to get him across the Crescent Sea. All goes well until it doesn't, but due to a combination of Serapio and Ziala's magic, they're able to make it to Tova, the city of the Celestial Tower, in time for the convergence. Meanwhile, Naranpa, who we know from the outset is doomed to fail at sun priesting, is politically outmaneuvered and overthrown by the factions in the Celestial Tower and the matrons of the Sky Maid clans. As the Convergence finally falls upon the city, readers are left wondering if anyone will survive. Bum, bum, bum. These are our high cost sound effects here. Bum, bum, Very bum, nice. Bum, Very bum, nice. And shuffling paper. Okay. <laughs> That's a that's a good synopsis. You know where you start with each of those characters is Serapio with what we can only call as a, as a child mutilation, basically. That first uh, chapter, it was right in that first chapter. I had to step away from it after <laughs> for like a couple of days before I could go back to the book. <laughs> and then Siala, we start with her in jail. Ranpa is someone who's sort of gone from a different arc she's she's come from very humble beginnings and has ascended to the very top of where virtually nobody would expect her to be but yeah, I think, that first scene with the is really like way in the future and she's just yeah. like laid out covered in blood and <laughs> practically dead yeah so everybody has a pretty rough start <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, Naranpa's first scene is actually the the also the end of, of the book. Yeah, it's our last scene of her, yeah. I think we want to introduce people to the world of Meridian first uh, before we get into the characters, because this is an amazing world that's been oh, built. Gosh, yes. It's what I would term a high fantasy novel, mm-hmm. but with the Mesoamerican basis for the world building which we have not I, at least I have not seen before I'd like to get your thoughts on that oh yeah. yeah so the world is very different what I've from what I've seen historically in fantasy which is really based on medieval Europe um, Tim like you mentioned it is Meridian is the name of the world and it is based on pre-Columbian North America it draws from the indigenous cultures 
of those areas. Um, so the people of Meridian, they have like an understanding of tech of astronomy, seafaring, there's architectural sophistication, record keeping, they have an economy with cacao as their monetary unit. They even have a third gender. But then so alongside all of this, there's also magic and giant, giant crows and water striders ridden by a human. So for me, it was a very satisfying and, and fresh fantasy world. You get different types of societies interacting too, because on one side of the of the sea you have Quequila. Am I pronouncing that right? Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm obsessed with mispronouncing things. So Quequila, uh, which is sort of a patriarchal society, it's ru ruled by merchant lords and Obregi too, right? Yes, uh, yes, mm -hmm. patriarchal Obregi. I would call it a Bregi. I don't know. A Bregi. I guess, um, yeah, sure. They're both, they're both patriarchal societies. And then on the other side of the sea, where you have Tova, uh, is a matriarchal society where women hold much of the power. And also, the apparently the Teak society, which we yeah. don't get to see, is completely ruled by women. I, yeah, uh, I think there's no men in that society from just the bits that we've learned from. Siola. The the one hint that we had was that when men do find their way there, they don't live long. Yeah. <laughs> it's very almost Amazonian too. <laughs> I I do really like the the society, the world that she's built here. She's thought about the economics of it. Mm -hmm. uh, they have a rich religious history. A lot of the storyline or the uh, the motivation for Serapio is based on a generational trauma that has happened to his clan, his mother's clan. And she's sort of Im imbued this belief system into him. But there is something there with him too. So I, I guess we should, we should talk about that. The first chapter is Serapio's mother essentially taking this 12-year-old boy and turning him into a vessel uh, for a god the uh, the grandfather crow they call it odo sadoa she ritualistically carves what they call hahan into his body it's a it's a, a an intricate scarification of a of a crow's wings and a crow's skull and things like that and then she also blinds him and binds his eyes and um yeah, this all happens during a an eclipse so you know, she has him stare at the eclipse, and I was like, "No, don't do that!" <laughs> After all that you've already done, don't make him do that too. <laughs> Very graphic. <laughs> so they've always told us don't look at eclipses, but I didn't know it was because a crow god might enter your body. They've been. I, I thought it would like burn your eyes. Right. Um, but apparently, if you look at an eclipse, then the crow god can enter your body, and then you have to. You have to hold it within you for the next 20, 10 years or so. But only if there's also a human sacrifice. Because oh, that's what his mother yeah. does at the end. Okay, After yeah, she sews his eyes shut very carefully, she runs and she like runs out of the room and jumps off the balcony as a human sacrifice mm -hmm. to complete the blood magic ritual. I didn't get that, but I guess that that is part of it too, isn't yeah. it? It was part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It was very, it was. Oh. This the world. This world was, yeah. It was. It was. It was really great. It was something I hadn't seen before, and it was very well 
rounded and grounded. <laughs> I even love that there wasn't any mistakes of like when somebody curses, it's like mother waters. It wasn't like, oh my God. It's like, oh, well, they don't have a God. How can you tell them to make them do that? <laughs> so, so it was like really great that, that everything was very well thought out and placed perfectly. Uh, we know enough of it to be curious about what else is going on. And, but we, 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 I don't feel a lack of like, well, did you think this through? <laughs> it, was, it was, I was really pleased. I hadn't felt like, like the way I feel whenever I read a high fantasy series and like, oh, well, I need to stay in here. <laughs> I hadn't felt that in a bit. <laughs> so it was really great to experience this book. <laughs> Gosh, I really agree with that. I wanted to go right back and read the book again after I finished it. Oh yeah. And there's a second book that's out and I'm like, I gotta have that. So I, I'm really excited to finish, not finish the series because I'm sure that this is going to be a deep, rich world that she's going to keep writing from. So before. Do you guys want to add the second book, Fevered Sun, to our reading list? Um, yeah. Sure. Okay. Let's do <laughs> <Sounds> that. great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So the reason Serapio's mother turns him into this vessel for the crow god is because her family suffered almost an annihilation at, or a genocide at the hands of the Celestial Tower, which is the primary religious structure in Tova. They, call, they refer to it as the Night of Nine. On the Night of Knives, there are four clans in Tova called the Sky Maid clans. And they live high up on the mountain and uh, like essentially in ascending cliff sides. And the Celestial Tower is the very top of that. Is That's the way I'm envisioning it. Does that sound right? They have like a series of woven bridges that connect the, the Sky Clans areas. The Crow Clan in particular had a cult, the cult of the Odo Sadoa that was gaining power and popularity amongst the people. And the, um, the Celestial Tower was threatened by it. And so they sent their assassins in to wipe out the cult. And they refer to this event as the Night of Knives. Right. And that predates Serapio's life his mother is spirited away from the crow clan by one of the celestial towers assassins they refer to them as sayos and she is hidden because this man or this uh it's actually not a man right it's it, it's the third gender neither man nor woman this individual feels regret about what's happened and so they choose to save this young woman and spirit them away from that point on she becomes obsessed with bringing back the crow god to the point of essentially sacrificing herself and turning her son into this vessel and so serapio is raised with the belief that as his power grows, as they approach this next eclipse, he will go to Tova and confront the sun priest and exact revenge for the Knight of Knives. Yeah, he's basically there to unleash 
the crow god. He's a vessel. And so he knows this thing is going to come from within him and he believes that it's going to destroy him completely. Like he's going to sacrifice himself for his duty. Right. He goes there thinking he's not going to come back from it. I, I was, so, so the book does provide a map as any good high fantasy does. <laughs> um, and I was looking at the, the Tova city and I'm like, they are right there. That clan is right there next to this other clan. <laughs> Why did they think this was a good idea? The, these people, if they don't kill them all are going to be bitter for the rest of the time. It was uh, like, that, that was poor planning for the sun priests, I think. <laughs> keep your friends close keep your enemies closer yeah so Rebecca Roanhorse talks about you know when she started I saw an interview with her and she talked it was her and John Scalzi it was a great conversation if you ever want to go and look it up her dedication in this is for that kid in Texas who always dreamed an epic I like that but she talked about the importance of finding the right first line to get the reader hooked. The first line of this is, today he would become a god, his mother had told him so. That's, That's the first yeah. part of the story. I liked some of the, um, she's got these little snippets of different Oh, texts. yes, like text from maybe other books in, the, in this world, yeah. Particularly, I like the ones from the observations on crows by Saya, age 13. Mm-hmm. That's the uh, mother. Yeah, as Rapio's mother is Saya. Yeah. It is said that crows can remember the faces of men who hurt them and do not forgive. They will carry a grudge against their tormentor until their deaths and pass on their resentment to their children. It is how they survive. And that is... A, exactly what she is mm-hmm. doing with Serapio. Go ahead. Oh, I, I like some of the teak sayings. They're just short and sweet and they're just <laughs> to the point. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think those were, were yeah, excerpts from like a diary. But yeah, are, I like the, the sayings. <laughs> those are great. A teak out of water swims in wine. <laughs> Only a foolish teak speaks when she could sing. Ah, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, because she has, because Ziala has, is magical. <laughs> she is wonderful. She's uh, almost like a pirate, but, you know, <laughs> the way she um, handles herself. She's on the, she's a captain on a, on, a, on a ship, and oftentimes, because she is a teak, uh, is not respected, and it's also hunted, because, like, her bones can bring luck, so if somebody can cut her finger off, they're like, yeah, I'm lucky now, like, it wasn't lucky for her. She had all her hands and now all of a sudden she's missing a finger. <laughs> so that doesn't make sense to me. Also, they have, she has rainbow colored eyes and uh, she uses her voice in a way that can change people's minds and manipulate a crowd or move the waters of the sea to wherever she wants her ship to go to. And yeah, she's, she's, she's I think she's my favorite character. <laughs> there are limits to what her voice. Oh yeah, is yeah, she's not all powerful. Yeah, I, I that just goes to show how well written this book is. She's not all powerful. No, nobody's all powerful in here. Even Serapio, his limit is that you know his. I I feel like it's probably because the god will 
burn out his body and he won't that, that's it because he's just a vessel he's not a god he's the vessel of the god and he has the point where his power will peak you know after that i mean it's it's got to subside and that's why he's got to be there on the day of the convergence when the eclipse right. happens when they because the sun is at its weakest then right so that even that is something he can't just go in any day the some priests have to be at their weakest and also the throughout the book you come to find out that the sun priest hood is weakened they aren't as powerful as they're they're as influential as they used to be even naranpa becoming the sun priest some people were saying how that's showing how weak the sun priesthood has become because she's from the the ma <laughs> the the dregs of society for that city um and how could she have become because it usually is somebody of the sky made clans yeah it, it, i was rooting for her oh, we were all rooting for her but um <laughs> they were you know but you you start off her story and like how does she get there <laughs> and that's how we we read her plot line the way because of the way the book starts I felt like the author was telling me this is the bad guy in the story, but it's very interesting. Like if you read the book jacket blurb, there's this bit about a man described as harmless usually ends up being the villain and they're referring to Serapio. Right. Who is good and who's bad in the story is very, I guess, subjective. It's sort of games of Thronesian where you don't really know who's good, who's bad. It's not a clear Right. I just versus kind of, evil kind of fantasy story. Right. I took it as they are themselves thinking of themselves as the main character of their own story. You, you know, <laughs> how meta that can be. Um, but, you know, none of them think that they're bad. Like uh, bad guys don't think they're bad. They're just uh, doing things to achieve what they feel is good for them. But um, but yeah, I, I didn't I didn't consider Naranpa. I thought the machinations around her were, were the bad the sun priesthood was the bad guy, not necessarily Naranpa, even though she is the head priest. <laughs> because she's just been made the head priest, the sun priest. But even who was good and who was bad among the sky priests was shifting. Yeah. Because yeah. originally I really liked the knife with the Zizer pronouns whose name I can't remember helped me out. It- Iktan. Iktan. I really liked Iktan. I did too. And then I really hated Iktan. Yes. Because he betrayed Naranpa. Yeah, I think they didn't have enough confidence in her. And I feel like uh, they probably just wanted to keep Naranpa safe. So that's why she betrayed her. Did they? She, did she, they really? I don't That's what I, because I, I think that Iktan survived. I don't think Iktan died. I think there was a new, like the way they, the way they replaced Naranpa with that dedicate. I think they did the same thing with Iktan. Do you think they had intel and they were uh, helping her get out of the tower in time? No, no. <laughs> no, you think, don't think they had intel? No, they weren't Naranpa good enough Naranpa totally did not have intel that she, nobody said she, she threw herself over that bridge. <laughs> Oh no, the knives. Do you think the knives had the intel? Knives. Do you think Iktan had intel about what was coming? I the think the, let me find the name because thankfully there is a people of Meridian that I can refer to in the book. I think that the other sun priest, Ish. Um, uh, Abba, Abba, the, the one that was tied to the, the Golden Eagle clan, 
I think that person's machinations was working <laughs> and they were, even though she was 19, like keep making a point that, that she was just all these young new heads of the priesthood. Like what happened there? <laughs> Why did all the, what's, what's going on there? Um, I think that person's machinations were, was working. And so I think that um, maybe Iktan got word of that, got wind of that. And she, she, G <laughs> um, was able to elude them and they replaced Iktan with somebody else, just like they did the sun priest with that, with that kid that Ava was sleeping with, Esh. They do say when they are taking the Rampa to the bridge where they're going to throw her off and apparently some of the... Adoha around the Carrion Crow's side watching the bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can't get across. So they plan to just, you know, throw her, throw her over there. They do make mention that the priest of the knives is raising the tower because Naranpa disappeared. It sounds like Iktan is tearing the place apart looking for her. Oh, okay. So I don't know that Iktan's been replaced. Um, oh no for that end part where they go for the when the convergence is happening on the sun rock that is where Ekton is not on the sun rock one point is like it's pretty clear to me who the bad guys are it's the golden eagles yeah the golden eagles are bad (laughs) maybe we'll see we thought the Lannisters were bad too (laughs) so there's the golden eagles the but were they serpent <laughs> the carrion crow and the water striders those are the sky made plants and i have a hard time not picturing water striders as huge roaches so <laughs> just i'm really not looking forward to, to anything to do with them <laughs> they're big bugs that's for yeah. sure yeah so golden eagle i think are the are the bad guys my first the first note i made about nara uh, who is the sun priestess who ends up getting overthrown and you know your first introduction to her is she's she's tied up and essentially being killed by a witch or she, um, they're just having some sort of ceremony held over her body <laughs> she's right. getting saved by a witch yeah I think yeah I think you want, you want to know my theory I'm going to tell me tell you a theory I think Naranpa is going to have some sort of She's going to become a vessel of a god. That's what I think is going to happen. <laughs> that's alluded to in some of the teachings that Serapio got from his last tutor. That some of the priests, Kichue, right, that they Kichue were vessels. Particular thought that they had forgotten how to channel the gods, but they they did have that ability as well. So my my first uh, note on on Nera is um, that she might be in a tough situation, but she is uh, she's a bit inept in her leadership, too. Yeah, I thought that way a that there was, a, there was a meeting in the conclave, and the way the argument switched over against her so quickly, I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you letting them say that? <laughs> it's so weird. So yeah, I think her, her leadership skills are, are lacking. <laughs> But she meant well. She really wanted the oh, priesthood yeah. to be better. 
Mm-hmm. And that's where she went wrong. She's a bad politician. She just wanted the good yes. of the people. She wanted the priesthood to go and help the people. She just wasn't playing the game. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's that was the problem. That was her problem. <laughs> but yeah, you have to learn how to play that game in order to get what you want. <laughs> and I think she I, hopefully eventually she will learn. I hope I don't know, <laughs> but I'm gonna find out. <laughs> an, an effective sun priest would make more effective use of a crime lord brother yeah oh yeah can you rid me of priestess of healing please yeah just a minor uh favor (laughs) small assassination (laughs) then you can call upon us when you when you yeah no i'm not advocating that (laughs) So Naranpa really is in a in a tough spot through much of the book, and um, yeah, I think that's why I have so much sympathy. She's such an underdog. <laughs> I don't have a lot of love for her. Oh, that's okay. She's pretty weak. There, I, she's not my favorite. I really love Ciala. Well, Ciala is amazing. I want to see her story, where she's going, uh, what happens with her. Does she have to become an avatar of a god? <laughs> I don't know because we don't we don't get a lot of her backstory you know she ran away and that she was uh, exiled from the teaks she was banned but we don't know what happened and I feel like that we're gonna get some of that story in the next book she is such a sympathetic character for me Mm -hmm. she has so much swagger she's put up with so much crap being expelled from her people trying to survive in this world that's hostile to her Um, and she despite that she captains ships she really is a self-made woman but Mm -hmm. she always undoes herself every time she gets drunk at the wrong times (laughs) she is very promiscuous and pansexual and she just she lets that lead her into situations that get her in trouble like the initial situation where she sleeps with a prominent person in Quakola's wife and then it lands her in jail and then she's about to get executed except this guy lord balan comes and says i got a, a job for you and gets her out of jail and then he you know sets her up as the captain of the ship but even there it's complicated because mm-hmm. the first mate is the same first mate she had in the previous job where she threw her uh, merchant <laughs> the merchant lord in the sea because he uh offended her <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she has so a temper. She, <laughs> she has a temper and she has swagger and, and she she's she's awesome. But, yeah. but she deals, but she undoes herself so much and it's very consistent. Like her mm-hmm. her attraction to Serapio. Mm-hmm. That was that was very good the writing. <laughs> she's like, he's so weird. And let's describe Serapio, right? Serapio is really tall and he's I imagine him as kind of thin. And he's blinded. So he goes around with this, uh, you know, like a black kind of uh, band tied over his eyes. And he's wearing these black clothes. And he uses some kind of crushed berries to paint his teeth red. So every time he opens his mouth, he's got this one red smile. And he's going around in black. And he's very goth. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, I'm hot for him. Yeah, she's like, he's weird. I'm not used to weird. But then she sees him in a new light. And he's, oh, he is beautiful. I'm like, yes, he's beautiful. <laughs> she's so into him. Yes. And I love those scenes in the book. I feel like Roan Horse does this beautiful job writing about 
the 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 sexual tension mm-hmm. and just the, the book is very sensual oh, without yeah. being explicit it's just yes. it's very beautifully done it's very satisfying the way um the way they want each other mm-hmm. is very kind of tender and and he's tentative because he has no experience of any kind with any woman right. he's never you know felt these feelings of attraction before and and here she is very experienced and I just the the kind of the culmination of their attraction to each other it was it was just cool like all the, the scenes on the boat or they're you know where they're <laughs> telling each other stories and <laughs> and very sitting cl- very close to each other oh yeah yeah, yeah. So, we always want what we can't have right I yeah. mean, that's yeah. that's kind of the the thing is she she's so attracted to him and i think the the fact that he's kind of unavailable is what part of what drives that so the other the other note that i made in my book and we're going to go to a back to the future reference here is when uh okoa who's the son of the matron of clan carrion crow uh, comes back for his mother's funeral and a big fight breaks out between the uh, the Odoha and the Sayos from the Celestial Tower. Um, some of the Odoha carry Okoa off and he has been poisoned by a Sayo's blade and he wakes up and he's in the uh, Odoha's house because they want him to train them how to fight because he's come from the war college and he's pantless there. And I wrote the easiest way to hold a guy prisoner is to steal his pants. (laughs) Nice. Because that's what Marty McFly's 1955 mother does to him. Are you okay, Calvin? (laughs) Calvin, because it's written on his underwear. (laughs) It's all over your clothes. But we haven't even talked about the matron of Crow dying, Yatlitsa. Oh, yeah. Was she killed by Iktan? Who killed? Yeah. yeah, we don't. That's a loose thread that wasn't tied up at this the end of this one. But, uh, yeah, we don't know. Iktan was not at the meeting. She came to the meeting. They came to the meeting late and they had that scratch on their neck. Oh. And the Rampa thinks that. Iktan had a sexual encounter with somebody and gets jealous. I totally missed that. (laughs) I missed that too. I didn't catch it. Wow. (laughs) That's the same night that Lisa dies. I do think that Iktan was probably pushing to blackmail the carrion crows into something. Or not blackmail them, but um, not not go as far as Golden Eagle did where they were going to just kill Narampa and put her body in there <laughs> I do I do think there was I, I think there were some machinations behind the Ikhtan's plotting yeah <laughs> but yeah I didn't even think about that that he killed but of course because that would make the most sense that or she was was like the most capable person to get into the behind carrion crow lines and climb into that window I do find it interesting that it's uh was uh Basically, her body was eventually thrown over a balcony, just like uh, Saya's was. I thought that was an interesting kind of... The Yatsala, 
I think because like you know they find her body at the at the end of at the in the river. river. So she had to have been thrown over her balcony, and Saya threw herself over her balcony to finish that blood ritual. So I thought there was like a parallel there, like maybe there's something of progressing that blood ritual to eventually I don't know I it's just like I thought it was an interesting parallel I see what you're getting at like that human sacrifice invokes the gods right they both threw themselves off of some place and yeah well yeah yeah possibly I don't know. to their deaths yeah 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 ultimately to their death yeah so there there are two ways that it could go too I mean because Abba was with her golden eagle guards were going to throw Naranpa off the bridge. It could have been Golden Eagle who who threw Yalitza overboard as well. Um but I read it as as Iktan as retaliation for the attempt on Naranpa's life. Yeah, yeah. That that could be the motivation. Yeah, you're right. Um, but but I thought that Ikton wasn't certain if it was the Carry On Crow. They're like, well, that's what they're making it look like. So Ikton plays plays their cards very holds their cards very very close. close. Yeah, very they, close. They don't let a lot of their motivations be known. You know, the only time that they truly reveal like how much they they care about. Nera is near the very end when they're telling her, look, you know, if you stay here, they're going to kill you. You know, you, you should just go live out your life as a monk and run a garden somewhere east of here. And uh, that would be preferable to you dying. Right. Yeah. I think uh, you're, that, yeah, that's where you do see the, the care that Iktan has for Naranta. That's why I don't think he, that they, they would try to get her killed. I mean, like, they demonstrate caring in other ways, like making sure that Nera's always guarded and even when she gets mad at her. Yeah. From what words from their own mouth, that's the only time that you really hear it. I think we, we should definitely add Fevered Star to, to our reading list. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Could be something we drop in on it. I like how difficult the names are. That's also very high fantasy. <laughs> how do you say this? Oh, that's not how I was thinking. <laughs> Even the the she G and G Zer. There you go. G and Zer. Those were ones I had to kind of how would, is that being pronounced? <laughs> Z and Zer. For I have enough of an understanding, although it's minimal, of Spanish and Nahual, which is the uh, an indigenous language of Mexico, that I kept applying all of the pronunciations from Spanish and Nahual to the words in this book. That's good. That's great. I'm glad that, yeah, after speaking with you, I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it would be more of a Z and Zer, because for some reason I was like, it was like a Chinese word. <laughs> But no, but you're, but because of the backstory of where this book is pulling from, that makes more sense. <laughs> the other, the other aspect that we haven't really talked about that I find really interesting is, um, you know, Serapio, this whole, this whole journey 
starting from the time that Shiala meets him in Quecola to the end, he's, I mean, essentially on a journey to his death, sacrificing himself for a group of people that he's never met. You know, the world has not been a very nice place to him, but that's primarily his mother's doing. So just the mindset, he seems so single-minded about it and dedicated to carrying this out. I just have to question, like, why? It does seem surprising. Mm -hmm. They don't present a lot of motivation for that, other than his love for his mother. Mm -hmm. But she does send three different teachers to him, and some of those teachers torture him. Like, the first tutor that she sends to him is an artist and teaches him how to carve, but also teaches him how to befriend pain by beating him. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty harsh. Right. The second one teaches him how to fight with a bone staff. She's a spear maiden. She also beats the crap out of him. And destroys some of his, his artwork that he was very proud of. Yes, they're abusive, for sure. And he kills both of them. Yes. <laughs> he kills both of them. Yes. Yeah. Oh. And the last one is, is a knife from the sun priesthood who has walked away from the sun priesthood, who teaches him how to fight with knives. So he's a pretty, pretty amazing fighter, despite being blind. Right. Very talented. Yes. I love that he uh, make, befriends crows or, yeah, befriend, befriends the crows. They're, they're small and because they're not the big ones from, from Tova. So he doesn't know about that really. I guess maybe he does, but and not in the sense that he has these crows who are his friends and he can see through their eyes like Beastmaster. And, <laughs> and it's just really great to have that aspect. Beastmaster reference. I love it. <laughs> I didn't think of Beastmaster. I did think of Bran from Game of Thrones. Oh. <laughs> I guess I just have more of a history with Beastmaster. <laughs> so odd but but yeah I just it was um it was really great to see that aspect of his tenderness for the creatures that he wants to protect and that's why he ends up killing the first tutor because he threatened his crows like I can take it but they won't be able to kills (laughs) I just find that really interesting you know the the whole idea of him sacrificing himself for yeah, something that, and a lot of the, a lot of those members of the priesthood, uh, of the current priesthood, only Hassan would have been around to mm-hmm. actually see the Night of Knives, mm-hmm. if I'm reading that correctly. The, uh, because even Serapio's mother was, was, she, young was young. she was 13, right? Yeah, yeah, she had to have been, I feel like, because of how traumatic that scarification from when he was a young boy and then his mother blinding him and a boy's love for his mother and that being her last act upon him. And that had to have a major influence on why he just continued down that path of like, well, this is what I have to do because I'm, I mean, well, like, you know, his body's ruined. <laughs> and so, so what else can he do but continue what his mother's what mother wanted for him to do? The God is calling the shots. Or that, too, because, yeah, maybe that 
because he is able to wield some sort of shadow at the spirit maiden. So yeah, maybe that there's a, maybe there is that kind of in the back of his head. Very interesting. I kind of like Okoa. Oh <laughs> yeah, that's a good. He's a good one. Uh, yeah, he's very practical, and he doesn't kind of kind of want to. He wants to assess things. He's, more than his sister gives him credit for. Because they remember, there was one part in their conversation or his rememberings is how whenever they meet again, it's always as if they were children. And I feel, I felt that so hard because there are times when I like, you know, go and visit with my brothers and it's like, well, we're all 13. <laughs> we weren't ever all 13 at once, but we just all go back to treating each other as if we're children. <laughs> it's like, but we're adults now <laughs> and kind of have building a new relationship with your siblings as adults and respecting that aspect of, of growth and humanity <laughs> was, is something that, that, yeah, I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. You know, even though that they're these powerful sky made clan uh, people, they still treat each other like, yeah, get out of here. <laughs> Mom, he's touching me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll turn this crow around. <laughs> so I think we we all agree that this was a great read. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I also have some of the aspects of the world building reminded me of aspects of other books where like I like in Pern, how the the by Anne McCaffrey, how it was the world was not created, but it was supposed to be a place where humans could come and get away from whatever it was they were getting away from. So like, so space people came upon this world. And I kind of get the sense that that might be some of the world building that's happening in this book where, you know, astronauts and space people came upon this world. And now whenever they reference the sky gods, that maybe the sky gods were actually people in spaceships <laughs> i don't that's just one of my theories on what might we might encounter later on in the series i wonder how long the story, series is going to be because it's like really great and deep so <laughs> i think i read that it's going to be a trilogy oh okay well then maybe they won't maybe she'll make another trilogy in the same world <laughs> that's kind of like how the 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 um dragons of pern are they're little trilogies all put together but yeah this was this was great i loved it i want to do it again <laughs> who would we recommend this to so for me this book reminded me of some of my favorite fantasy series of all mm -hmm. time one of which is the mistborn by brandon sanderson the other one is the empire trilogy by raymond feist and janny Wirtz. so i think if a reader liked either of those, I would definitely recommend the series. Also, if you like the Elfstones of Shannara, which is a little bit of a different, it's different from some of the other Shannara books, but it has this theme of a character that's bound by duty to sacrifice themselves for the good mm -hmm. of humanity. Yeah, people who have experience reading uh, sci-fi, or even just this might be their first, if they're wanting to read sci-fi, or fantasy, really. Fantasy, I would definitely recommend this one. Also good for people who've read a lot of fantasy and want something different. Yes, yes. Something yeah. fresh. Something fresh. It is an interesting take on it. 
gives you kind of a new world look that you haven't mm -hmm. seen before. I think that would be amazing if it turned out that there were that there were aliens at the end of this that that built <laughs> the initial city into the cliffside. Yes. <laughs> their lasers and their advanced building techniques <laughs> although i won't be disappointed if it turns out that the the tobins and the quacolans are just very good at math and astronomy and those right yeah so. well i think they're probably this my, so my my theory is that you know humans came to this planet uh intermingled with the already uh beings of their planet and just that's why um and that that's that's what it is <laughs> not that they imparted their their new technology and took away from to take away from you know it was aliens <laughs> with the mad hair <laughs> and to take away from the ancient peoples and their achievements but yeah I, that's what i think is that they just kind of that's who the sky gods are <laughs> so you're not saying that it's aliens but but it's it aliens, aliens. <laughs> That would be awesome. Do you guys have anything you want to add? People, go read this book. It's wonderful. Do it. <laughs> yes. People should go read this book. Buy it. Check it out at the library because everything we do is available for checkout. But whatever you do, go read it. So I think that's it. Anyway, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or other episodes that we've done, please remember to rate or click the little heart button wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can view our book list, our reviews, and suggested reads at our on our Goodreads group page. That's SAPL Escape the Earth, S-A-P-L, Escape the Earth. And then you can write us with stories, suggestions, random thoughts, interesting sci-fi geek culture information, trivia, etc., etc., at sapleescapetheearth at gmail.com. S-A-P-L, escape the earth, all up smushed together like one word at Gmail. And thank you for listening and join us next time for Dun, dun, dun. Our discussion of the house in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Clue. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Escape the Escape the Escape the